John 17. And in this passage here, things are, are reaching a crescendo. We're quickly coming to the end of Jesus's life here on earth and his ministry here that he's came to do. We're, we're leading right up to the cross. And yet here in this moment, as things are reaching this crescendo, what does Jesus do? He takes time to pray. This great prayer. Prayer. So important, not only for us, but an important part of Jesus's life and ministry. There was a captain of a ship that was out sailing and facing a great storm. The ship was going down and the captain was really freaking out urgently. He called out, does anybody here know how to pray? One man stood up and said, I captain, I know how to pray. And the captain said, good, you pray while we put on our life jackets because we're one short. So prayer, prayer truly is that lifeline for the believer. It should be like second nature for the Christian, shouldn't it? And all through Jesus' ministry, we've seen that time and time again where Jesus would, would retreat often to get alone with the Father and pray. This was something that Jesus saw as essential and, and important in his own life and ministry. And here we have him now praying. And this is a great chapter where we see the heart of Jesus all the more coming out as he's interceding for those around him. This has been called like the high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer that we have in the New Testament. And so this is all of chapter 17 is, is Jesus seeking prayer. It's been a, a wonderful chapter, beloved by many. In fact, Martin Luther said, this is truly beyond measure, a warm and hearty prayer. He opens the depth of his heart, both in reference to us and to his father, and he pours them all out. It sounds so honest, so simple. It is so deep, so rich, so wide that no one can fathom it. Philip, um, that guy says, there is no voice which has ever been heard either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the son to God himself. So wonderful, sweet prayers. We see the heart of Jesus. And what we're going to see in this chapter here, as we look at this outline, is we're going to see Jesus prays for himself. First of all, he prays for his own ministry. And then he's going to pray for his disciples there in verses 6 to 19. And then from verses 20 to 26, Jesus is going to pray for the church. He's going to pray for you and I. He's going to pray for future believers. And so that's what we see in the breakdown of this chapter here. Look at verse 1 with me. And it says, Jesus spoke these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son and that your son also may glorify you as you've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So the idea here is that Jesus spoke these words, meaning the things that he's just been speaking to his disciples. Remember from chapter 13 all the way now to the end of chapter 16, Jesus has taken this time where he's been sharing with his disciples, pouring into them. It's been called this upper room discourse as they gather together in that last supper in the upper room. But then Jesus has continued to unfold his heart and his desire for them that they would be abiding in him, that they would have the assurance that though Jesus is going, he's not going to leave them as orphans because the Holy Spirit's going to come and that they may continue to be witnesses and that their joy may be full in him. Jesus has been pouring pouring into them. And so now, after Jesus has spoke these words, he looks up to heaven and he prays. And, and catch that posture of prayer here by Jesus. Because, you know, prayer sometimes we think has to be this very, you know, holy and reverent act. Like, you know, we've got to be head down at a right, you know, 43 degree angle with our eyes closed, hands folded, just such. And we think prayer has to be all about our posture when really, here's Jesus just with his disciples, he looks up to heaven and, and, and essentially just showing that source of, of who we're looking to for help, for guidance, the, the, the place that all blessings comes down from. In fact, it tells us in James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of, of turning. Psalm 121 verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence, does, uh, from whence comes my help? Well, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So Jesus is looking up to heaven. And isn't that a great thing that all the Lord is looking for us to do is just to spend time in, in, in dialogue, conversing and communing with him. And then that's something we can do wherever we are and whatever we're doing. 
right? You're driving in your car, suddenly you have this urge, like, I need to pray. You don't have to pull over and get in that posture, like, okay, how does it go, Lord? Hands full. No, you can just be driving and just eyes, I mean, hopefully eyes open while you're praying, and just be seeking the Lord, right? And if you want to pray with your eyes closed, well, you know, we need to be praying for you then. And, uh, but, but the idea is that the Lord is just desiring us to be in constant communion with Him. And we can. Because He's not requiring some kind of formula in prayer, but other than just to look to Him. And just to, to call out to Him. And to, and to speak with Him in just, in just ongoing communion and, and dialogue with the Lord. What a, a sweet thing that is to be able to do. And here's Jesus. He's just been out with His disciples. He's pouring. And now He's just like, Looking up into heaven, just seeking the Lord now. I'm sure this disciples taking it all in and knowing, oh, there's Jesus, man. I want to take this in because he's such a prayer warrior, this guy. They, the disciples, remember, in, in Luke, uh, I think it's in Luke 11, they're, they're like, Jesus, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray. What's the way to do it, Lord? How, where should we be when we pray? Lord, how, what's the proper way and posture? No, they say, teach us to pray. Why? Because they saw the value, the importance, the priority in Jesus' life to pray. And having this open, just communion with the Father. And they knew that was important. They desired that. So here's Jesus praying. I think that's so good. But then he, he says, the, the Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. And so the Gospel of John has really been making a lot of mention of this throughout the Gospel. This is a theme that we've seen developing. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, verse 30, his hour was not yet come. Chapter 8, 20, his hour was not yet come. Chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Chapter 13, Jesus knew that his hour was come. And now he says, Father, yeah, the hour has come. It's, it's now. It's happening. So what is this hour that Jesus was preparing for, living for, that everything was centering around as Jesus is operating on this divine timetable towards this hour? What is it? It's the time where Jesus is going to fulfill his earthly mission, which was to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Everything that Jesus was doing was leading up to that hour and nothing was going to prevent it, thwart it, get in the way of it. Everything was operating. Jesus could say, oh, even though people were trying to take him out, oh no, it's okay, my hour hasn't come yet. They can't do anything because I'm operating on a divine timetable. God's in control. The hour's not yet. Nothing's going to happen. But now he says, now it's time. Now this is the moment where I'm going to go to the cross and fulfill exactly what I've come to do. But even though this is a time of great suffering for Jesus and great agony leading to the cross, it was also a time where he knew he would rise again from the dead three days later to where God would be ultimately and fully glorified through the work of Jesus. See, this hour to Jesus was not something to run from. It was an opportunity for God to be glorified. And, and God would be glorified through glorifying the Son in this act. Seeing Him die, but then rising, him, rising up again from the dead. You see, God allowed the Son to go to the cross because it was of, of what it was ultimately going to accomplish. It was going to accomplish eternal life for all those that would put their faith in Jesus. And the Father and the Son would be glorified in this because that would be the means for people to find life, to be saved, to, to receive the forgiveness of sins. That's why Jesus came. In fact, Hebrews, two, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus could look at this with joy, knowing, oh man, th there's nothing to joy in the cross, but there's something to joy in what the cross is going to result in, and that is going to be life for many. The glory of God, the glory of the Son, for people to see that this is the way to find life. Also, Jesus would glorify and joy in these things. And Jesus now expands on this eternal life that he's, he's excited about and, and, and that is going to be offered to the world. He says in John 17, verse 3, look at that with me here. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Oh, this is a great verse here. This is a verse that you want to you wanna highlight, you want to you wanna bring to memory in your heart. And, and what we're seeing here is that eternal life is wrapped up in knowing God. Knowing God. 
That's it. Recognizing that he is the only true God, the only one that's able to provide salvation, and that it's found through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So this idea of knowing God is something that would have been so foreign to many people with any kind of concept of God. Every false religion, every false belief will have an idea that here's a God that you need to appease, you need to, you need to attain to this level, but it's all about your works. It's all about by what you do. And there's no peace, there's no idea or there's no concept that there's a God who loves you and actually wants to enter into relationship with you. In fact, there are oftentimes a God a false god that is to be feared that is to be afraid of and all you're doing is is simply trying to appease him and hope that you've done enough to return uh, to to receive any kind of of hope for the beyond there's no assurance there's no idea of a relationship but jesus says this is eternal life that they may just know you and not just know about you god but that idea of to know is to know intimately to know personally Imagine that God would make himself personably known to his subjects and invite them in to fellowship and relationship. This is what Jesus is saying and what he's praying for. Oh, that they may just know you. Because when they know you and and enter into relationship, that's what it is to have eternal life. To come knowing that he's the only true God and that Jesus Christ is the one that you sent to provide this life. This chapter is all about relationship with the Father. God's not putting you through some, some test of how many good works you can do. He's not interested in your performance to earn your way. He's interested in you. And he's invited you in to, to know him and to enjoy relationship with him. That's, that goes beyond any concept of what anybody would ever have apart from Christianity. He wants to enjoy fellowship with you. He wants, to, he wants us to be able to know him personally and intimately and have a relationship. And that's, that's eternal life. That's the life that he has for us. What a blessing it is. Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was See, when Jesus came to this world, he had one mission in mind, ultimately, right? That was to carry out the will of the Father. And it was the will of the Father that Jesus would be the one that would go to the cross as as fully God, yet fully man, and, and be that perfect sacrifice for all of humanity that we could have sins forgiven, and be reconciled to the Father. That was the, the will of God ultimately. And, and Jesus came and carried out this will perfectly. And Jesus glorified the Father because he was obedient to the Father. That's important because it's the same for us. Our purpose here in this life is to glorify God. Now a lot of times we go, well, okay, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, we do it by carrying out his will. Living for the Lord and say, it's not about my life, my wants, my desires, my purposes. It's about living according to God's purposes and and glorifying him. Well, you go, okay, well, that sounds good, but what's the will of God? And we can wrestle over this. We can can really complicate that, I think, oftentimes. But the Bible makes it very simple and clear. It it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for instance, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That might be a big biblical word to some of you, but that idea of sanctification, we'll, we'll see it coming up later on in this chapter too, is simply to be set apart. What God desires for you is that you live your life set apart unto him to say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me, with me, do it. Ultimately, what the Lord wants is for us just to live our lives to make him known, to be a witness of him in this world. We think... Okay, Lord, do I need to take this job or that job? Do I need to go to this school or that school? Should I live here, live there? Should I buy this house or, or, or this shirt or what? And we, we, we just get really, I think, troubled over what's the will of God. I've had people just like, you know, have to pray over what socks they're going to wear in the morning because they just want to make sure they're in the Well, I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't think the Lord is sweating over you picking the right socks in the morning. He just wants you to live. For him 
to glorify him, to make him known. To be set apart, sanctified. Another thing the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, that's how we show we're set apart for the Lord. We're just, we're just thankful people. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't have to say, mean for everything, give thanks. You might have a you know, flat tire that makes you late for work. You're not saying, Lord, thank you for this flat tire. And thank you that you've made me late for work. This is such a, a blessing. I hope to one day find out how this is a blessing. But Lord, I'm told, no, it is a for everything. It says in everything. I mean, anyway, it might not be the greatest thing, flat tire late for work. But Lord, I'm alive. You saved me. You give me life and you give me a hope and, and I know you'll provide for me if I get fired because I'm late today. You'll provide for me. I'm just going to give thanks for you, Lord. I mean, that's what it means here. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's just really quite simple. Again, walking humbly with your God speaks of relationship, just living in him, for him. Walking humbly, knowing you need him. And Jesus says, I've glorified you because I've finished the work which you've given me to do. Are you finishing the work the Lord is giving? When is the work finished? When you're with him in heaven. So you keep going, right? You just keep carrying out the work that God has for you, which is ultimately to make him known. So after Jesus prays for himself and for his ministry that the, that the Lord, God, our Heavenly Father be glorified, Jesus now prays for his disciples, verses 6 to 19. Praise for his disciples. Look at verse 6. He says, I've manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they've kept your word. So Jesus came to manifest who God is. That word manifest is interesting. It's the Greek word phaneru, which means to, to see or to really make known, to appear or show. Very interesting. So in other words, Jesus didn't just come to explain and speak out who God is, though he did that. He came to reveal God just by his very life, to show God. Colossians 1.15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So Jesus came to this world and suddenly he's like now this light shining and he's saying, he who has looked at seen me has seen the father. Jesus came and manifested God, made him known, declared him. He came to picture and personify the Father in every way, showing us exactly what God is like. And Jesus also identifies here how the disciples now have been set apart by God and given to the care of the Son. Jesus says, they've received my word. They received the word of Christ and have kept it. They've taken it in, they've lived it out now. This is what the disciples have done. He goes on to say in verse 7, Now they have known that all things which you've given me are from you. For I've given to them the words which you've given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and have believed that you sent me. So what's the all things Jesus speaks of here? They've known that all things which you've given me. What are the all things? Well, it's what Jesus says next. He says, I've given them the words that you've given me. Everything that I've communicated has been from you, God. I've given them, I've not held anything back. Remember Jesus said that? Uh, I've revealed all things to you. It didn't happen right away. No, over time. As they began to grow and mature, the Lord began to share more things and he's not held anything back from his disciples. He's revealed all these things that the Father has given him. And they have taken it in and received it. That's what he said there in verse six. They've kept your word. They've grabbed a hold of it. They received it in, right? And now they surely know that I came forth from you and they have, in verse verse eight, they have believed now that you sent me. Right now, too often times today, people are looking for proof before they believe, aren't they? They're like, show me and I'll believe. But it's not the way that God works in his economy. God says, believe and then you'll see. It's not the way we work oftentimes, but God says, put your faith in me, believe and you'll see. And it's true. How many of us have been those that at first were, okay, I'm going to put my faith in you, Lord. We're going to trust you. And suddenly as you do, you begin to see just the wonders, the beauty, the glories of God. And suddenly these things begin to make sense. And all of a sudden say, oh my goodness. Now I see. This is amazing. You're so good, God. The Lord wants us to take those steps of faith. 
believe him. And when we step out in faith and we believe as the disciples did or, or took in his words, then they begin to see, then they begin to understand and see even more clearly. Jesus says in verse nine, I pray for them. I, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. Oh, Jesus says, I, I pray for them. You see, when, when you begin to have a, a heart for other people and you begin to pray for people, no matter how, how flaky they are, no matter how weird, weak, or bothersome they might be for you or to you, pray for them. Because as you pray for them, you begin to develop God's heart for them. You begin to see them through the Lord's eyes. I, I, I mean, I think that's why Jesus had to retreat away and pray so often. He's like, Lord, help me with these guys. Give me your heart for these people, man. Is there maybe another 12 we can work with? No, he, he kept the 12. He's like, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for them. And, and, and how important we need to do that. So Jesus says, man, don't, don't hate your enemies. Love them, pray for them. Pray, pray for those who persecute you. We need, to, we need to take them to the Lord in prayer. Even those ones that bother you and irk you, Pray for them because as you do, you begin to see them through the Lord's eyes. You begin to see them through God's love and you begin to develop that love for them. And that's going to be very important as we'll see as we move through this chapter here. Now, you might think that it's a little bit unfair that Jesus does not pray for the world as he says there. But understand, Jesus died for the world. And then he sent his Holy Spirit into the world as we saw in John 16 to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. So Jesus has already done a lot for the world to provide salvation for them. However, here's the deal. The disciples belong to God presently because of their faith in Jesus. And so Jesus now prays for this ongoing protection and preservation of his disciples. It's a role that Jesus continues to have today at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. For us who believe in him. Jesus is at work praying, bringing us to the Father in, in protection and preservation. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 11. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, speaking of Judas Iscariot. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So Jesus, knowing now that he's going to go to the Father, he prays for his disciples in, in a few very specific ways in this passage that we just looked at here. First of all, he prays for their unity, verse 11. That's going to happen repeatedly in this chapter. We'll, we'll break this down a little bit more as we move along. But secondly, he prays for their joy to be full, verse 13. When, when he said, these things I speak in the world, he's speaking uh, uh, again of those last number of chapters when he's been pouring in his disciples as he's been seeking to encourage them. Though he'll be going, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent and it's going to be that source of help and comfort for his disciples. And it was to be the means for them to see their sorrow turned into joy. To know that Jesus is going to be alive again. He's going to go to the Father. And when he goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and move mightily in the midst of the lives of followers of Jesus. Oh, that their joy might continue, not just continue, but that it might be full. And thirdly, Jesus prays that God would keep them safe from the evil one in verse 15. Jesus makes it clear that the disciples are going to face opposition. He doesn't, again, doesn't hold anything back. He broke that down in, in greater detail there at the end of chapter 15. The world's going to hate you, but understand, it hates you because it hated me. And if you claim to be followers of Christ, well, there's going to be an immediate um, uh, hatred towards you by those that don't want to receive Jesus. So he makes it very known to them. The disciples are going to have a very different value system than the world. As followers of Christ, you are going to have a very different value system than that of the world. And so you're going to face opposition in the world. You're going to rub people the wrong way. They're going to be like, how come you can't be more like me? 
because I'm, I'm, I'm not of this world. I'm living for something far higher and greater. Jesus says, they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. It's a great, great bumper sticker or something to put in your car. In fact, we've done that. Not of this world. And it's true. We're not of this world. And because of that, the world is going to be bothered by you. They're going to be, how come you can't be more like me? How come you live in a way that makes me feel a little bit like I'm not doing enough or coming up short or I'm, that's conviction. We don't, we don't make that happen. It's a natural byproduct of living for Jesus, living with a different value system. So the world's going to be in opposition to you. But I like how Jesus prays, don't take them out of the world. Lord, don't take them out of the world. I'm sure there's been times where we've wanted to pray that, right? Lord, can you just take me out of this situation? Get me out of this predicament. Lord, this is tough. Would you just deliver me? In fact, Jesus, just take me home. I'm ready. I'm sure we prayed that at times. But understand something. Jesus has a purpose for you here in this world. Jesus doesn't pray for us to be removed, but rather that we be protected from the evil one because God is wanting to use us and work through us here in this world to be salt and light. We're to continue on the work of Jesus by making him known. So even if you're going through a trial or you're going through a difficulty, you don't have to grumble and think, Lord, why am I going through this? You can look at that situation and say, Lord, would you use this here now to be glorified in my life through this? Because that's ultimately what, what we're living for is the glory of God, right? That's ultimately our purpose. But sometimes God's glory is more greatly seen by how we handle adversity and trials and difficulties. Because the world can look on and go, wait a second. How do you have such peace through this? How do you have such joy in the midst of these difficulties? How are you continuing on? And we get to say, man, that's just through, through the grace of God. That's through God who strengthens me daily. And, and, and we get to share, these things don't bother me because this life is temporal. This is not what I'm living for. And I've got, I've got greater life coming through Jesus. These things don't have to hold me back from that. We get to show people what God is doing in us and with us through the difficulties to where he gets all the more glory. So understand, the Lord doesn't say, oh, deliver them out of this world. No. Preserve them. Keep them. Keep them safe from the evil one so that, again, their witness may continue on strong. And as our witness continues on strong, we're fulfilling the work that God has for us and glorifying Him, fulfilling our purpose, which brings all the more joy for us, carrying out the work of God. Jesus says in verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. So Jesus prays that they'd be sanctified by truth. And and the truth comes by the word of God, right? So again, to be sanctified means to be set apart. As we saw, this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So Jesus says, I pray that they may be sanctified and, and sanctify them by your truth. to be set apart to be set apart to live out this truth it's like like fine china that has a very specific purpose right and we 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 had fine china uh given to us at our, our wedding and um it's something that's set aside for specific purpose uh we haven't reached many of those purposes yet i don't know if we still have it because i haven't seen it in a long time but one day maybe we'll have you over and serve you with china if we still have it but it's set aside for a specific purpose. It's sanctified. It's, it's, and, and so the Lord says, you are set aside for a specific purpose and role. And again, that is to glorify God, to live for the glory of God. We're not set aside in the wings just waiting. No, we're to be fulfilling that purpose. Everything that we do, it's for the glory of God. Now notice, we're not set apart from this world. We've been sent into this world, it says. We're on mission here. Again, like I said, Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 13 and 16 says that you are the salt of this earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I hope one day you will be. Oh, I'll pray that you'll get there. No, he says, you are. Right now, you're to be the light of the world. You're to be salt of the earth. Salt just, again, preserves the, the things of God, that, that work in that presence of the Lord. Light is making him known. So we're to be salt and light. In other words, just shake and shine, church. Shake and shine. That's your motto today, okay? 
You go out of here, you just go, Lord, help me to shake and shine for you. Because that's what we're called to do, right? That's our role. That's our, our function here. Jesus himself says that he was sanctified. Verse 19, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Jesus himself is set apart for these very things to make God known. To carry out the will of God. And now we're to be set apart as well. And we do so through immersion in the word. Sanctify them by your truth. You see, the more that we're in the word of God, the less that the world is going to be in us and have an impact on us. The more that we get the word of God in us, the less that the world is going to have any kind of influence in our lives. And that's what we, we truly desire, isn't it? More of you, God. Let me get the word in me. Let me be sanctified by your word so that I may have a greater impact in the world. Now, a lot of Christians see the world as just an e- evil place. And it is. Let's face it. I mean, it's, it's kind of brutal out there. But a lot of Christians look at the world and they go, oh man, okay, well, I don't want anything to do with the world. It's just so awful, it's so evil. And so they oftentimes now go to the extreme of saying, well, I just can't have any participation in the world at all. And you see, they totally miss in doing so, they totally miss Jesus' heart in this prayer. He doesn't say, take them out of the world. No, they've been sent into the world. You're not of the world but you're to be making a difference in the world. So there's three responses or, or three kinds of approaches that Christians often take when it comes to the world and dealing with the difficulty being in the world, but not of it. First of all, they take the role of isolation. They see the gospel as something that needs to be protected rather than shared. So they isolate themselves from the world. And in so doing, isolate the potential impact and witness that they should be leaving in the world. Talk to some Christians, they're just like, man, I just need to get away from it. I just need to get off the grid. I'm going to go build a shack up on a mountain and eat flowers all the day long. You know, it's like, I just got to get away. I don't want to have anything to do with the world that's so awful. I go, man, you're, you're missing it. You're missing what you've been sent to this world to do. So they isolate. It's not good. Another way that people react is that is through inoculation. Some might think that they're immune from the vices of the world. They seek to live the world or live like the world, thinking that it's the greatest way to be a witness to the world. And so they inject themselves with a little bit of the world, a little bit of the word, and they try to balance these two. But what happens is that they oftentimes compromise the truth and corrupt their witness. For some Christians, they have too much of Jesus to be happy in the world and too much of the world in them to be happy in Jesus. It's not helpful. But here's a better way, I think, that Christians should respond to these things here and fulfill what Jesus is calling us to do, and that is through insulation. This is where we see a daily focus on the gospel and the word and it's what keeps us from temptation and sin and what brings an example of Christ's life. Insulation means working diligently to balance faithfulness to the truth and faithfulness to our mission. We recognize Christians should live differently from non-Christians, but not by removing ourselves from the world of non-Christians. We live differently in the midst of an unbelieving world, and the difference is seen in the unmistakable fruit of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I pray, Lord, would you just wrap me up in you and in your truth that I might go into the world and not be affected by the world, but rather make an impact to the world. That's what our heart should be and our desire in these things. Understand this, my friends. We have a great mission here. I'm so happy that we get to gather and we get to encourage one another. We get to remind ourselves of these truths. But listen, I care more about what goes on the next six days of your life. This is something here that we do to encourage, to equip. But I pray that you're going out in the world and you're living out mission and you're impacting the world with your faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's what it's all about, church. That's what we're to be. Church is not what we do here on Sundays. We do here what we do on Sundays to get us ready to live as a church in the world the rest of those days of the week. That's what we're called to do. So live it out. Shake and shine, church, okay? Let that be stapled on your forehead this week. Shake and shine. 
or imprinted on your heart. That might sound a little better. Okay. So lastly here now, running out of time, but Jesus now, after praying for himself, praying for his own ministry, after praying for his disciples specifically, now Jesus prays for the church. Look at verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you send me. So after praying for himself and his ministry and his disciples, he prays for future believers. That's us. Think about this. In this great high priestly prayer of John 17, Jesus has you and me on his mind and in his heart. And he's praying for all those that are going to come to faith. And how do they come to faith? Well, look at what Jesus says there. He says they come to faith through their word. The end of verse verse 20. Through Through whose word? Through the disciples who he's just been praying for. It's through the disciples' testimony and witness of Jesus Christ that many are going to come to know Jesus. And that's why he's sending us out in the world. So that we, in turn, might also share our faith with people. That they might come to know him. That they might be a part of this prayer now for the future church. We have a role to play. Now, you don't have to have... You know, your degree in theology, you don't have to have a hundred scriptures memorized in your heart to go out and be a witness. You just need to tell people what Jesus has done for you. You just need to pass on your faith story. Let people know what Jesus has done, how he's forgiven you of sin, how he's given you life, he's given you a future and hope. That's all you need to share with people. You might think, how do I witness? What am I going to say? How do I explain that? You just say, hey man, have you heard about Jesus? Because Jesus has radically changed my life. He's made me whole. He's given me just joy in him, purpose, life eternal. Do you know that today? We just get to pass it on. That's what we're called to do. And the great theme of Jesus' prayer here for the church, as we'll see, is ultimately unity. He repeats this over and over again, that we may be one. He says that in verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. See, not only is the world going to Hear the good news by our testimony, but God desires that we live out this good news through our unity and love for one another. It's this unity among believers that is going to reveal the work of God in sending his son. John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's how people are going to know. Do you know the world is going to, when they see the church operating in unity, the world is going to take note and go, what's going on there? What's happening with that? Why are these people also loving and caring with one another? We get to say, man, that's God. God brings all people together. See, we look at what's going on in the world, and the world is, 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 I don't think, ever been so divided. Lines are being drawn in every which way where people are just at such odds to the point of, of anger and violence. And when they see the church come together of all different kinds of people, different personalities, different characters, and all just loving one another with a common purpose and a, and a unity, the world goes, wow, what's going on? That's how Jesus says, that's how the world may believe that you sent me. I think we, we sometimes do ourselves such a disservice when we, as a church, we start to nitpick over different things, over the non-essentials. We start to make a big deal over things and we start to divide. And we've seen that through the history of the church. We see the church that has struggled in unity. And it's one of the, the biggest excuses that people have to say, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a part of that. Man, they just devour their own. So judgmental. And we can be that way sometimes, can't we? We can be so critical of things. We can just like, oh man, did you see what Brother Tom was wearing today? Oh, I, or did you hear what this person said? Oh my goodness, I can't believe they did that. And we can just rail on one another. We can just get so critical and devour our own. You know, some of the big news that's gone on in, in pop culture the last couple of weeks is this, you know, Kanye West album, right? Jesus is King. He's come out with his new album, Jesus is King. How many people have heard Kanye West's new album? All right. How many people have heard of Kanye West before? Okay, just getting, making sure I know the audience here. Okay. Kanye West, who's had, you know, a, a big influence in, in pop culture as a, as a rapper and recording artist. Well, he's come out now as, as a Christian. He's put together this album, Jesus is King, and it's, it's awesome. I love it. But, you know, 
there's a lot of Christians that have been very critical. Ah, oh, this is probably another publicity stunt. Oh, Kanye West, what's he doing now? Oh, I don't believe this. I don't buy it. And, and we see the church just ready to pick a person apart instead of celebrating this idea that, oh my goodness, we might have somebody here that's been a huge influence in culture who's not professing faith in Jesus. Oh man, I got to pray for this guy. I want to get behind this guy. I'm excited about that. And we need to pray for him. And yet that's not the way that it's often gone. And, and shame on you if you've been one of those that have just had an instant heart of being critical or judgmental. Instead of going, Lord, I don't know where he's at, but I pray, get a hold of him and use him for your glory, God. Because this is so cool. And just his lyrics are, and in fact, even in his songs, he's written in one song, Hands On, about the kind of backlash or even reaction he's had. He says in one of his songs, Hands On, I'm going to do a gospel album. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'll be the first one to judge me, make it feel like nobody loved me. That's what he's got in one of his songs. I, my, my heart breaks when I hear that. So I go, that shouldn't be the way it is. He should be getting the greatest support from the Christian community, from the church to say, hey, we want to walk alongside you. We want to see you disciple. We want to see you growing, Lord. We want to see you be successful in Jesus. Instead of saying, oh, well, we'll see where this leads. We'll see where this goes. We'll just give it time and see what happens. No, that's too bad. That's the wrong reaction. You need to pray for a guy like that. The church has done such a disservice in the world by not walking in unity and love with one another. Now this unity is something that Jesus, he says, he's enjoyed with the Father and with the Spirit since before time. See, the Trinity has operated in sweet unity and fellowship, but check this out. We're invited in now to know and be a part of this same unity and fellowship that is that the Trinity has enjoyed from beginning of time. We are Invited in to be a part of that. He says that they also may be one in us. That's amazing. That's so good. He goes on to say verse 22. And the glory which you gave me I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, what is it that brings disunity oftentimes? Um... I think there's several ways that we can answer that, no doubt. And I think we have to be careful because we don't, we don't fight for unity at the cost of truth. We don't unify over things that are not true. So it's always based upon the word of God and being unified through who Jesus is and what Jesus says. So yes, we understand that can bring disunity when people are not standing for the truth or they've got a different gospel in mind. I get that. But according to what Jesus is saying here, notice he says there, the glory which you gave me, I've given them. I want to talk about that specifically here because this is something I think can oftentimes lead to disunity. Now, first of all, let me say this. The glory of Jesus was in revealing the Father. He came to make him... Make him known, right? John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. And now we have the distinct privilege of making God known in this world. Our desire and passion should be to glorify him as we've been seen. So the thing that I believe oftentimes disrupts unity in the church and among believers together is when we get our eyes off of God's glory and get it onto our glory. When we begin to say, I want to live according to me. I want to elevate myself above others. I want things to be done my way. And when people aren't going to serve me, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to kind of get out of, out of joint here. I'm going to, I'm going to create a bit of friction. Brings disunity. Now, sometimes we might struggle in loving someone because we feel like they just don't really deserve my love. You ever feel that way sometimes? Oh, Lord, I'd really like to love them, but can you, can you change them? Can you make them a little bit more lovable? Can you, do a work, can you do a work in them so that I can just come and do what I'm supposed to do in love? Sometimes we think that way, right? And, and, and we, we, we 
look at one another and we go, well, they don't really deserve my love. Because we think we're better. And again, we're, we're judging. But notice what we read in that passage. God loves that person the same way that he has loved Jesus. Look at verse 23 again. At the end of verse 23. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you see that? God loves those followers of Jesus the same way that he loves Jesus. That's pretty huge. See, God no longer looks at us as we are. He sees us in his son. Jesus says as much there at the beginning of verse 23, I in them. So God now looks at us as we are in Christ. And how we need to look at other believers as they are now, which is in Christ. See, when you dismiss them, you're dismissing Christ. Oh yeah, they may have flaws, they may have shortcomings, but aren't you glad that Jesus has overlooked those in your own life? Aren't you thankful for that? What right do I have to say, oh Lord, look at their flaws, look at their outcome, look at, look at all their shortcomings. Look at what, Lord, so yeah, change them so that I can love them. God says, hold on, I love them. And I love them because they're in Christ and Christ is in them. How we need to look at one another through that lens, the lens that God has for them, through his love, through his grace. And when we do, that's how we're going to begin to walk in unity, one with another. Where we're not seeking to glorify ourselves, but glorify God. Jesus says, Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus knew that life with them was only going to get better and better. In his prayer, he shows his desire for his followers to be with them where he will be. That they may be with me where I am. Jesus knew he's about to ascend to the Father. He says, God, I pray. Oh, I can't wait for them to be with me. Jesus knows that this is going to be the ultimate taste of glory divine when we're united with Christ for all of eternity. Remember, we see things dimly right now. We, we certainly enjoy a unique and blessed relationship with Jesus now, but it's only a shadow of what is to come. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a day that's going to be. Right now, we only see in part... We only see a, 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 a fading view of this glory, but one day we're going to see him as he is. Where we'll behold glory divine. See, as good as the abundant life that Jesus gives us presently is, and it is, I'd, I'd want it no other way. I know that this is just a taste of what is to come. And it keeps us moving forward, continuing on knowing that it's just going to get better and better with Jesus until we're with him in all of eternity. Lastly, verse 25 and 26, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It's, it's pretty uh, amazing that the world continue to walk in ignorance, in rejecting Jesus. Many who saw and heard Jesus, this perfect man in perfect love, it's amazing that they would just tune him out, push him aside. It's so sad. But many did accept Jesus. And then they had the blessing of knowing and seeing God in a greater way. Because he who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And those who have seen Jesus have seen and experienced the great love of God, Jesus says there. See, the essence of God is love. Jesus made the Father and his love known to the world by his death. And the Father made known his love for the Son by raising him to glory. Jesus' purpose in revealing the Father was that Christians would continue to grow in that love, that the Father's love for the Son may be in them and to enjoy the personal presence of Jesus in their lives. And I in them, it ends. That's what Jesus desires. Oh, that I might be in them, that they might know me and know my love, that they might be unified as we are unified, Father. That's what he invites us into. That's the privilege we have as believers, as followers of Jesus. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and we're just going to close with a, uh, 
uh, just a time of ministry and response before the Lord. But just in closing here in review, we look again here at what this prayer says about believers and the world. We see that we're, we're given to Christ out of the world. We're left in the world, verse 11. We're not of the world in verse 14. We're hated by the world also, verse 14. But we're kept from the evil one in verse 15. We're sent into the world and we're manifested in unity before the world. And these are the requests that we see Christ making here for those that are his followers. First of all, for preservation. For joy, for the fullness of the spirit. For deliverance from evil. To be set apart, to be sanctified. To be unified, to be one for fellowship, and for satisfaction where we behold his glory, where we see clearly who he is and what he has for us. Oh, I pray that your joy may be full, that you might be comforted in this fact of how Jesus is praying for you. And we need to pray continually just for the Lord to preserve us in this world and to preserve our unity, that we might be a witness to this world. Maybe there's something here that's been heavy in your heart. Maybe there's been conflict you've experienced, perhaps even with somebody in the church or with somebody that you have in your family that doesn't go to church or or whatever that's just created disharmony and disunity. I want to encourage you, take that to the Lord today and ask Him to help you to forgive. Forgiveness is not about the other party forgiving you. Forgiveness is about you saying, I'm no longer going to hold this against you any longer. I'm going to let it go. And it's you ultimately that is freed from holding on to that. You're set free now. Take that to the Lord. Give it to the Lord if there's something that's holding, bitterness is being held in, that, that's disrupted unity in your life with others. And maybe it's somebody in this church that you need to pull aside and say, you know what, man, I've just been harboring just kind of wrong feelings and I want to get I want to get that right I want to ask for forgiveness and I want to I want to walk in forgiveness now I want to see relationship restored and unity renewed and that's some somebody here today that you can go to in this time of ministry I encourage you go and get up and out of your seat and just go to that person maybe call them to the back and just share with them and pray together and if we can pray for you here in whatever way we'll have our prayer teams available in the front just to pray with you in this time that we just sing and respond and ask the Lord to continue to plant His Word in our hearts. So let's stand together. Let's have our prayer teams come and make themselves available. Let's just take some time to wait on the Lord. I know time is moving on, but um, this is important. And so let's not leave here today until we really allow the Lord to continue that work that He desires in our lives here. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. We thank You for this prayer that You prayed, Lord, for us, with us in mind. And I pray that we as a church would walk in this unity and love for one another that you have, that you've invited us into experience with you and the Godhead. What a blessing. Lord, do your work. If there's things that are, have disrupted unity in our midst and in this church, God, we pray, bring it to an end here today. May we walk in love and forgiveness one with another. May we humble ourselves. May we die to self. Say, Lord, May you be glorified. And that's it. So lead us on now, we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.